May God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours this day in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for the message comes from uh, both of our readings, but primarily from the Old Testament reading from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Let us pray. O God, you are so generous. You have given us everything by your hand. Help us to respond to your generosity with our own, so that you may receive all honor and glory. And as we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. We are continuing in this series uh, about that paradigm shift, that that shift in perspective uh, as we get a, a new view of life. Last week, we considered the new view of our life as a manager. Essentially, we considered that, that God owns it all, that we manage what he gives to us, and that, that it's really an issue of trust. Uh, can God trust us, and can we trust God? Really grabbing hold of that idea that God owns it all, it really does change things for us. It, it shifts our perspective on things. And so today we consider that this new view, view of life affects our, our generosity. And we do so by looking at the generosity of King David. Just think about this for a moment. When you're long gone from this earth, what is it that you would like people to, to remember you for? Would you like them to remember you for your, for your failures? or your successes? Would you like them to remember how you live for yourself or how you live for God? I mean, and those are easy questions to answer, but boy, once you're gone, you cannot influence how they're remembered. It's going to be left to the people who are still here who do the remembering. So what will be your legacy? I pose that question because it has a lot to do with how we remember the people written about in the Bible. For instance, when you think about the life of King David, what is it that sticks out in your mind? Is it how he trusted the Lord in giving him the victory over Goliath, or is it how he failed the Lord by committing adultery and murder? David had a lot of successes, he had a lot of failures, but the one thing I want us to remember today is how he showed his faith so greatly with his offerings and his praise to God. And David enjoyed the luxuries of life, but, but there was something that was rubbing him the wrong way, something that was bothering him. Listen to his words from 1 Chronicles chapter 17. He says, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. To Israel and to King David, the ark represented everything, right? It represented God's very presence with his people. And so, so David rightly feels that, that things are way out, of, way out of place. I mean, he's enjoying a palace while God lives in a tent called a tabernacle. And so David wants to change that. He wants to build God a, that, that permanent, beautifully elaborate temple, that structure. Maybe you know the account here in Scripture. God was pleased with David's desire to build a temple. But God didn't want David to do it. God's desire was that David's son, Solomon, to actually do the building of the temple. But it's interesting that David doesn't whine or complain 
to God about this. Instead, he humbly served God. He followed God's will. But what David did do was that he got everything ready for Solomon to do the building. And so with the Lord's help, David put together everything. He put together the blueprints and design for the temple. He went about collecting all the funds and and the materials to build it. He got everything ready. He got it all in place. And as the people of Israel brought together their offerings, it was amazing. Their gifts to God for his house totaled over 300 tons of gold, 635 tons of silver, besides many tons of bronze and iron and and chests of precious precious stones. I just did a couple calculations that the the price of gold today, that gold alone would have been worth over $14 billion, and the silver over $460 million. You know, our scripture reading today from 1 Chronicles, it's it's, it's a prayer, actually, that David prays right after what was probably the largest offering given in the history of the world. And so, as we get this new perspective, this new paradigm on life, we get this new view of a life of generosity. You know, one of the first things we see is that David glorifies God for God's generosity. David praises God right off the bat because of how he gives. He prays, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and in earth is yours. This is a clear scriptural truth. I think we often are tempted to forget. Considered it last week when we saw that everything, right? Our clothing, our food, our home, our money, our possessions, everything that we call our own, that it's all God's. He makes the rain fall and the sun to shine. He allows the crops to grow and he gives us animals as a blessing. He gives us our talents and our abilities and our health and our jobs so that we're able to earn an income. You see, everything in heaven and on earth is God's. But listen to David's humble perspective. Remember, this is one of the most powerful and wealthiest men who had ever lived, not to mention a man of faith, He prayed, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Who am I? With that phrase, David dwells upon that unworthiness to receive good things from God. David knew that he was forgiven, but but I don't think it ever left him. His sin of adultery with Bathsheba, the arranged murder of her husband, Uriah. He's certainly recalling all the ways that he and his people had disappointed and disobeyed and offended God during their lives. And yet, God still gave. God gave generously and abundantly. We saw a glimpse of that in the parable Jesus told today about the owner of the vineyard that is generous to his workers, right? Regardless of when they come in. What David marvels at is God's undeserved love and grace. An understanding of grace begins with, who am I to deserve all that I have been given? 
It's the same grace that we've been given in Jesus. Uh, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, so that through your poverty, through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, granted, we may, we, we may marvel at an offering of close to $15 billion given by Israel, and rightly so. But that's not really the most valuable offering in the history of the world, is it? The most valuable, the most generous offering this world has ever seen was given on a cross in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. When Jesus offered his life on the cross for that, for our world and for us, that took place within walking distance of where Solomon's great temple was built. The one who owns the world and the entire universe gives it all up so he could come to this earth and give a life, his life as payment for our sins. That generous offering makes us rich. How much money do you need to buy the grace of God? None. It's a gift. What good can you do to earn the forgiveness of sins? None. It's a gift. What do you do to be worthy of God's Holy Spirit? Nothing. It's a gift. What insurance could ever guarantee, I am with you always to the very end of the age? None. We're so rich in Jesus. And it's not just spiritual uh, riches. David prays, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Literally, from your hand, we have given things to you, right? We can't praise ourselves for anything because we're only sharing with the Lord, with the Lord what is already his. Let's think of it this way. Parents, think of your children. Sometimes they'll, they'll come up to dad and they'll say, dad, can I have $10? Well, what for? I can't tell you. It's a secret. Well, they go to the store and they go and buy a birthday present for you, right? So the birthday gift for dad comes from dad's own money. In a sense, that's really what we're doing with our offerings to the Lord. God, from your hand, we have received it. And now we turn around and we give it back to you. I don't think any dad ever thought less of the gift they received because they actually provided the means to buy it, right? Of course not. I think that dad is happy that their son or daughter loves them and wants to give them gifts. And I think it's the same with our Heavenly Father. While David glorifies God for God's own generosity, we also see that it made a change in the people, that the people glorified God with their generosity. So David continues the prayer, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for your building, for building you, your, uh, you a temple in your holy name, comes from your hand. All of it belongs to you. You know, the, with their gifts, they're glorifying God. They're glorifying the God who saved them. For David and the Israelites, managing what they had to God's glory was giving a multi-billion dollar offering to build God the greatest temple the world has ever seen. You know, I guess we can ponder the same thing. How do we manage, like we saw last week, how do we manage all that we have to give honor and glory to the one who deserves all honor and glory? 
But we often have a problem with that, don't we? When we talk about our offering or when we talk about our giving, the common reaction is to treat it like going to the dentist, isn't it? you, You know you need to pay them for the privilege of hurting your mouth, and you know it's good for you, it's necessary, but it doesn't have the appeal like going to the beach. Why do we treat our giving to God like that? God gives us a test, test of the heart. David prayed, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with an honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. You see, when it comes to our giving, God does test our hearts, doesn't he? David mentions about four different aspects of generosity here that will we give, will we give with integrity or somehow try to cheat God? Do we give willingly or do we feel like we're forced to give? Do we uh, give with an honest intent uh, or is it, oh no, pastor's talking about money again uh, and I don't like it? Or do we give joyfully? Or do you feel that it's just a painful necessity? I saw a story, it was about an old miser who flunked a, this test of the heart because you see he had reached into his wallet when it was time for the offering of the church service and he intended to give a dollar, but accidentally pulled out a hundred dollar bill and threw it in the plate. Uh, and when he saw what he had done, uh, he asked the usher to, to, so he could change it for a dollar bill and the usher refused. Uh, so you ushers out there taking notes, right? Uh, so the miser grumbled, saying, oh, well, I'll get credit for it in heaven. And the usher whispered back, nope, you're just going to get credit for the dollar, because <laughs> that's what your heart was. What does a life of generosity look like? David described it. Integrity, honest intent, willingness, and joyfully. Joyfully. In our giving, our objective and goal is the same for every single person, to give God all honor and glory. Now, the details of how you honor God are different for each person. Throughout Scripture, we're encouraged, even commanded, to honor God with our first fruits, to give first to God uh, through God's work here. The first fruits is mentioned in Scripture a lot. It depends on your translation, but in the New International Version, Version, it's mentioned 31 times. In the King James, it's mentioned 30 times. In the English Standard Version, it says it's there 33 times. But guess how many times the word last fruits is mentioned? Zero. You guessed it. All versions. God doesn't mention the last fruits, but he does mention the first fruits. The first of the gifts that you give, out of what you've been given by God, that you give back to him. Why would you ask God, why would God ask you and me to bring or return the first fruits back to his church? Because he knows that our hearts are connected to our treasure. Jesus mentioned this uh, in his Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 in Matthew. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
In essence, as we said last week, do not treasure your treasure. Nor do we honor God, nor do, not, not only do we honor God with our first fruits, but our, our generosity connects us to God's heart. I mean, we saw this last week. Where, uh, your use of treasure shows where your heart is at. I mean, why do you spend so much money on your children, right? Think about how much money you invest on them, in them because you love them. They're the ones that have your heart. Yeah, maybe you invest money in a business. Your heart is there too, right? You probably can't stop thinking about it. In the same way, when you give to God's work, it connects your heart to God's heart and to God's work. Really nothing better for your heart to be connected to. David's closing thought is this, Lord, the God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Lord, keep their hearts loyal to you. Meaning firm and fixed on you. May they always have a zeal for your work, O oh God, and not getting burned out on the one side or getting apathetic on the other. But always keep that goal in mind that, that, that to, to glorify God, not only in prayer, but in what we do for his work on earth. You know, David never did get to see the results of all of his offerings and all of his planning. He went into a glorious home in eternity, and that's when Solomon then built a glorious house for God on earth. You know, it's the truth for us here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School. We are worshiping and serving here in a church sanctuary uh, that, has, that we had no hand in building. A structure here built in 1888, built with the vision to serve the future church. There are many who are part of the building program to build up our, our, our school up in Bourbon A. But I tell you what, in the, in, since 2009, since we started worshiping there, we've had a lot of people join our church after the fact, who were not a part of the building program, but have benefited from the sacrificial generosity of many. What I'm saying is that what we do now, it certainly helps and serve people now. But our gifts and service now also help the people we have not yet met and who have not yet come through our doors. You know, we do have a long-term plan up at the school site. We want to really reunite that church and school in one location after so many years being apart and have everything in one place. There are many who have started the journey with us who have not seen its completion. Many gathered here right now probably won't see the completion of these plans. But what a great work of God we are accomplishing together right now. Saving and strengthening of souls, one by one, changing lives, one by one. So for what do you want to be remembered? For David, despite all of his failures and sins, he was called a man after God's own heart. He gave glory to God because of God's generosity. And that moved the people of God to give they gave their glory to God with their generosity through their generous and sacrificial gifts. I think God's giving us a new perspective here, isn't he? A paradigm shift about a life of generosity. 
May he give you and me a heart like his, a heart of grace and love, compassion and generosity. And let's give him all glory, honor, and praise. Amen. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.